We may still be months away from March Madness, but hoops fever is sweeping across Staten Island as the borough's high school basketball season gets underway. And anybody who's been to the boys' games knows that it's a hell of an atmosphere, the, one of the biggest events on our sports calendar. You couldn't get in the parking lot at Farrell on Thanksgiving Eve. There were cars lined up down the block. They sold out days in advance. It almost feels like you're at Cameron Indoor, like a Duke North yeah. Carolina game or something like that. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance sports reporters Nick Regina and Charlie DBAs to discuss the paper's coverage of the borough's high school basketball season. Thanks for joining me again, guys. It feels like I just had you on to talk about high school football, and now that's kind of wrapping up already, and we're already moving on to basketball. So it's a little crazy to see how quickly things move on. But I'm curious for you guys if you have really any kind of preference in terms of which one you prefer to cover. Is it football? Is it basketball? Kind of why? I'll let you jump in first. Basketball and football are my two favorite, but um, I have a little bit of an allegiance towards basketball because I played basketball in high school. That was my sport. Maybe a little bit more towards basketball, but I love football too. I like I like covering both of them. What about you, Nick? I gotta go basketball too. I think the competition. I I, I think there's a little more parity, especially on the boys' side of things. For us, it's a much easier coverage too. I'd say um, no <laughs> cold weather, a lot of competitive games, no games in the rain or snow. So <laughs> that certainly works, and uh, the games have been really good too. Yeah, you know, that's what I was thinking in terms of the last time we had you on, we were talking a little bit about what it's like to cover these football games. I didn't really realize how much you guys were doing during that time. Not only, like you say, it's outside, it could be cold, it could be rainy, it could be whatever, but you're running up and down the sideline, you're jotting down yardage and, you know, all these different stats and you're trying to keep track of it on your own. I imagine for for basketball, it's a little bit easier than it would be to say, oh, that's a 17-yard run by so-and-so and this and that. It's like, okay, he, he shot a three, he made the three, whatever. It just seems like it's probably easier for you guys from a coverage perspective and then if the games are better if it's warmer it's better conditions it it kind of makes sense to me so got a nice comfy seat at the scores table with a can of soda so right right exactly (laughs) Uh, so I want to start off kind of similar to what we did on the football podcast which is for the people who aren't big high school sports fans just sort of an explainer on how this whole thing works because it could be a little complicated you've got the public schools you've got the private schools you've got different divisions that people are playing in and in this case you also have the boys teams and you have the girls teams as well. So I was wondering if either one of you, whoever wants to jump in, could just kind of walk us through, how does it work? Do all the high schools have teams? What divisions are they in? Are they playing each other? What what does it look like? The Staten Island High School League has been in existence since 1948, I believe. And that's a what they call a paper league. But each team is also in their own division for their real leagues, like the four Staten Island Catholic teams are in the CHSAA. The nine now PSAL schools are in the PSAL, obviously, and then Staten Island Academy is in the uh, this year the ACIS. So for the longest time, the Staten Island High School League was regular season. Whoever the regular season champ won was the champion. Mm-hmm. The tournament started in 1993, and back then they would still play each other uh, at least once a year for the seeding purposes, but because of the obligation that the two, primarily the PSAL and the CHSAA have towards their regular leagues, they're no longer able to play a regular season to determine seedings. So now the tournament is still being played, thank God, but they have a seeding committee, which I'm a part of, (laughs) 
that determines the seedings before the tournament starts. Gotcha. And, and then and then the tournament is always you know whirlwind with the the fans and and and, and ha- what have you. Right. So the teams are all playing within their own official divisions, right? And then at the end of that, you kind of rank all the different Staten Island teams, and they come together to play that Staten Island tournament, even if they are participating in different divisions, whether it be the Catholic school or the PSAL or whatever it might be. So that that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, and uh, Peters, Farrell, Moore, and C still play each other twice a year, even though they're in different divisions for the Catholic League. Uh, Peters is double A, mm-hmm. C and Farrell are single A, and Moore is B. But they still play each other twice. So obviously the head-to-head matchups hold a lot of water towards the seedings. Right, of course. Same thing with the public schools. For the first time ever, Curtis and Susan Wagner are not in the Staten Island division anymore. They are now in a combined Staten Island-Brooklyn division, top tier, quadruple A, I believe it is. And they're not playing Tech, Port Richmond, and all those schools. So now we they needed a committee to determine who belongs where properly for the uh, for the seedings for the tournament. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it is, like you said, kind of a, a complicated it issue is. because everybody's playing in all of these different places and different divisions, but you still want to be able to compete within your borough and say, hey, this is the best team in, on Staten Island at the end of the year. You still want to be able to kind of crown a champion in that way. So I like that they've come up with this way to do it while also remaining consistent with the PSAL and with the Catholic yep. school leagues and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting, a little complicated, but I think it's probably for the best because it gives people that opportunity to maintain the tradition that they've become so accustomed to. Sure. We're recording this on November 30th. So last week we saw the Thanksgiving Eve games, which mm-hmm. is a big thing on Staten Island. We were talking about this a little bit off air beforehand, but it started with two teams back longer than I even realized. Mm-hmm. So you as our as our local sports historian, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on these Thanksgiving Eve games? In 1946, St. Peter's and Curtis decided to play each other the night before Thanksgiving. For the first roughly 17, 18 years, it wasn't consistent every year. I don't know the reason why. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would play back-to-back, then they would go three years without playing at all. But from 1963 till 2019, obviously you know the reason why it stopped after 19, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was every single year. And the one that was played last Wednesday night was the 66th annual Thanksgiving Eve game between St. Peter's and Curtis. They were the first ones. Along the way, the other schools wanted to do be a part of that tradition too. Because let me tell you, you don't find this any place other or across the country or anything like that. Maybe there's another spot, but it's very common on Staten Island. The Jersey teams don't start playing until like the first week of December. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, a big rivalry in addition to Peters Curtis was Farrell and Nudor played for years because of the rivalry thing. Mm-hmm. And proximity. I and proximity. Too, just being close to each other. No, that's what I meant. Yeah, yes. yeah. Port Richmond and Tech is one of the longest ones they've been playing for years. Farrell now plays C. Farrell plays C on Thanksgiving Eve, which is kind of strange because they are in a division together and the game holds a lot of weight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Towards their Catholic division. So right off the bat, that first game is going towards the standings and stuff like that. Then they play again later in the year. Most of the teams do have a game on Thanksgiving Eve. The only one that didn't play this year was Eagle Academy of Staten Island, which is a new school, Mm -hmm. official and stuff like that. But there was six or seven games on uh, Wednesday night, and Nick had the Farrell Sea game, which I'm sure was a zoo, just like uh, St. Peter's Curtis was. We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, 
a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because I, you know, I graduated from Curtis mm-hmm. in uh, 2012, I guess, at this point. And so I had attended some of these games as well. The right. Curtis games were St. Peter's and the crowd in there, yeah. you would think it was an NBA game or, or even, it's almost like a college atmosphere. I would say the kids are going there, they're, they're painting their chest yeah. and taking their shirts off and they got the letters, they're lined up in the crowd, yep. yelling back and forth at the, mm-hmm. at the kids from the other schools. Yeah. And so it really is a very fun environment for anyone who's never been to one of them. But yeah, Nick, I know that you were at one of the games. I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about the games this year, how they shook out, what the scores looked like, and also just the environment and the energy that was there. Oh, you hit on the environment. I think it's probably my favorite night of the uh, high school sports year, I'd say. It's chaos. You couldn't get in the parking lot at Farrell on Thanksgiving Eve. There were cars lined up down the block. They sold out days in advance. Couldn't even walk up to the door without a ticket. So um, as far as the environment, chaos. Like you said, like being at a game, it, it almost feels like you're at Cameron Indoor, like a Duke North yeah. Carolina game or something like that. Because the, uh, the rivalry's grown so much over the years between I had the C and Farrell game. Um, the student bodies are going absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. They had almost an NBA-level uh, introduction ceremony where they <laughs> shut the lights off. They had strobe lights going. They had a video montage on the screen. That's so awesome. It was next level for sure. And then the two student bodies are going back and forth all night, seated behind each bend. They were chirping each other for two hours, so... The, uh, the environment was crazy, and the the game on the floor was equally good. C was down nine in the first half and rallied to win in the fourth quarter, and I think it was a six-point game and went down to the wire. Those games are always awesome, and I definitely recommend to any of our listeners, if you haven't had the chance to attend one in the past, maybe in the next couple of years, try and pick one and, and get out there because it really is, like you say, just something that you don't really expect from a high school sporting event necessarily. And when you see it, it's really going to, it's, <laughs> it really is something to behold. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the standout teams that we've seen so far this year. And I know it's early in the season. Most of the teams have only played maybe one or two games, mm-hmm. right? But what do we see in terms of projection and looking forward in terms of who might be some of the better teams on the island and, and kind of what makes them so good? St. Peter's is the five-time defending Staten Island High School League champions. They have three starters returning. And last year, for the first time, they played a complete schedule against the other double-A teams from the city. Price the King, Iona Prep, all 13 games against top-notch programs and held their own. They finished 6-6 six and six in the division. They won a playoff game. They lost to Cardinal Hayes, which went to the final. They only lost by five in that game and stuff like that. So with the three returning starters and a couple of guys from the JV that went to the city championship game a couple of years ago, Peters should be in the mix. Uh, Monsignor Farrell won the Federation crown last year for the A division. They they lost a lot. They lost their starting five, including a terrific player in uh, P.J. Scalisi. But Farrell always plays defense and is always in the mix because of that. So I think they'll be heard of. Uh, C beat Farrell on Thanksgiving Eve. On the public school side, there's a couple of teams. Susan Wagner, I think, is going to be pretty good. They got a couple of returning players. Curtis is always there. Who else? Uh, Tech is always in the mix. So, yeah, I guess those are primarily the teams that should be in the mix by the time the Staten Island High School League tournament rolls around. 
Right. And Nick, what do you think about on the girls' side of things? Are there any teams early on that you, you kind of look at and say, and this is maybe the cream of the crop or what we can expect to be holding the crown at the end of the year? Yeah, well, uh, without getting too into the uh, divisions and making your head spin, uh, yeah. there's, there's a couple teams that could compete for championships in their divisions. St. Joseph by the Sea moved up to the AA this year. Um, they'll be the only Catholic school league, uh, Catholic school team from Staten Island that's in that division. They're the two-time defending Archdiocesan champions, so they'll certainly give those guys uh, a run in the AA. In the single A, it's going to be wide open, I think. Hill's been the runner-up the last two years against C, so with C out of the way, you would think Hill's the favorite, but... Uh, more Catholic looks pretty good this year. I think Notre Dame's going to be improved, so the Catholic League should be very competitive. And on the public side, uh, the New York City's all-time leading scorer has gone from Wagner, Nicole Melius. So um, I think the public's going to be wide open, too, and Newdorp's got its two leading scorers back. So I, I like their chances this year. And uh, Staten Island Academy always competes in the private school league. So it's a chance that we could have uh, three schools in the mix for championships in their divisions. Yeah, no, and that's really exciting. And so Another thing that we talked about a little bit last time on the football podcast is is some of the standout players or players who we think might have the potential to potentially play at the next level, whether that be college or, or even all the way to the pros. You know, in football, we have more of a history here of producing professional talent, I think, than we do at the basketball level. We might have had a few guys throughout the years, but no real standouts in the way that we've had with the NFL. But is there anybody right now who you look at them and you see their skill set, you see their talent, their work ethic and say... Maybe that guy's got a chance, or maybe that girl's got a chance, because we've seen the growth of professional women's basketball as well recently. In terms of professionally, uh, you know, NBA, I don't think, and this is certainly not a slight, because less than 1% of high school basketball players make it to the NBA. But I don't think we have, Staten Island has anybody that's going to be going to the NBA. Um, But with a couple of you know, Division One prospects, absolutely. Um, Kadia Martin, who was the returning Cole Jakes Award winner for St. Peter's, he's drawing uh, Division One interest. There's a lot of teams with a lot of uh, young rosters this year. So, you know, not much for the Division One level, but crazier things have happened. It's it's tough, right, too, because football, there's 50 guys on a team Basketball right. is 12, right? So it, it, a lot less opportunities. Um, on the boys' side, though, you know, they might have some guys who might wind up playing overseas. I know there's a St. Peter's guy, a former St. Peter's guy at St. John's right now, who I think he'll have a chance to play professionally somewhere, Chris Ledlam. So, you know, there might be some opportunities, but a little more limited than football. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great point in terms of the roster size. And I just want to give a quick shout out. And like I said, we don't have a ton of people playing at the professional level or and, and really haven't historically, but there is a former Curtis player, Mohamedou Goye, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. He played at Curtis. At the time, he was only five foot nine. After graduating, hit a 10-inch growth spurt, and he's now with the Raptors G League team. So He's not quite on the on the professional roster right now, but he is in the G League and he's been playing with them. And there are a chance, whether it be with injuries to the to the main roster, or with his own development, that he could find himself playing professional basketball now. So th- th- those kind of stories are there. There are people you might not see it in high school, you know, but someone could be a five nine, five ten kind of player, and then you hit that late growth spurt. All of a sudden, now maybe you do have the ability to keep moving up and keep moving on to that next level. So just wanted to shout him out as one current Sat Islander who is who's probably about as close as we have right now to playing at the NBA level. And so we touched on this a little bit earlier too. I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what it's like covering the games and what your average experience is like when you show up to a game. What do you do and where are you sit and who are you talking to? What are you keeping track of? What What is all of that kind of like for you guys? 
uh, for basketball or, or for, for basketball for we basketball. talked about it for yeah. football and it sounded a little miserable yes. to be right, honest right. with you so I'm assuming yeah. that this is a little bit easier right it kind of is for me personally I still keep a running score so that I know the big part of the game I go through my notes and say okay you know this is where the game turned uh, you know whatever team went on a 12-2 run and that's when they got some separation so mm-hmm. Then basically, I fill in the blanks at halftime and at the end of the game from all the the play by play I do. I try to keep rebounds, turnovers, what defense they're playing. Unlike football, where if you miss a play, it could be the end of the world. <laughs> it's a, 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 except for you know finding you know getting back in touch with the coach and waiting for them to go over the film. In basketball, if you miss something, you could just go to the scorekeeper and say, "Who had that last basket?" <laughs> and then you fill in your notes, but. I try to sit behind the benches if I can or or in a spot at Farrell and St. Peter's. I'm always on the stage because you get a nice view from up there. It's nice being front and center. That's the best way to put it. So, Yeah, Yeah, most nights I just pull up a chair at the scorer's table. But like Charlie just hinted at at Farrell, it was very tight on Thanksgiving Eve, not a seat to be had. So I was on the the stage with about uh, 100 kids surrounding me. Oh, wow. (laughs) Probably a little stressful trying to do your job when you're surrounded by a million people doing a bunch of other things, right? We see that in all sorts of reporting. Like when we're outside of sports, I'll go to cover a rally or an event or a press conference and there's a hundred people around you all doing different things and you're trying to listen, you're trying to focus, you're trying to get what you need to get. Can definitely be a little bit hectic, I imagine, especially at the bigger games like that. Another thing I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit, I was just kind of curious about personally as a fan of the game. You know, you've been covering high school basketball for a long time now. We see that with all sports, but especially I think probably in basketball, the game has changed so much at the professional level in recent years. You've gone from kind of this methodical walk it up, pick and roll offense to more of this pace and space, five out, running gun, shooting threes kind of thing. Has that translated at the high school level too? Or are we seeing the kids play differently than they did back in the day? Are they taking more three pointers? Are they running up and down the court more? Or, or is it still kind of the fundamental basketball that you would see in like the 90s and early 2000s, or has it kind of adapted with the times? It is It is adapted to the times to an extent, mm-hmm. but I think high school, more than anything with the college and professional levels, is still the closest to what it might have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Some teams, depending on what, who they have, yeah, they run and gun or they're launching threes and stuff like that, but some schools that have traditional big guys – they're looking to still get the ball in, inside if they can. Obviously, that is, you know, pretty much done with the NBA okay. and in some college instances. So, I would say the high school level is is one that still has uh, tendencies of the past. It's great to see because, you know, like I said, I I played in a time in high school where pounding the ball inside if you have a big was the was the way to do it, and now. Bigs, you know, on the on the high on the college, I'm sorry, on the professional level, mm-hmm. are launching threes just as much as the guards are. It's yeah. almost like a positionless sport, right? Yeah, which is why I'm kind of curious with the if it had been that same way at high school. But you know what? I don't think there's there's probably still a little bit more of the separation of size that you see in high school, where you have like, okay, that guy's your point guard and that guy's your center. You look some teams in the NBA now. Every guy on the court is six eight. You know, everyone is between six five and six nine, or six five and six ten, and yep. they're all switching on every play on defense, and they're all doing this and doing that. I imagine at high school, you don't have that kind of personnel, right? You can't run those types of uh, defenses or that type of style when you don't have the players who can fill each role. You can't switch your point guard onto the center 
in high school most of the time, I would imagine, or he's getting put in the basket. No. You know, it's it's funny. You, you see various defenses more on the on the high school level. You see, you go see a team. They might go a possession and man to man. The next time they go to a three two, depending on who they're playing and all. Obviously, in the NBA, you're limited to what you can do zone wise. But I think the high school level, more than any other divi- uh, division, including college and especially the NBA, there's more game planning. There's definitely more game planning that you know the closest thing to the old way that it is in my opinion that's that's how i feel yeah i'd say i i cover the girls more than the boys i think that they play a very different game where like you said um i see a lot of positionless basketball in the girls circuit not so much isolation not as many three-pointers uh opening night c farrell i see was very much an iso offense the main scorer uh matt stalfo a lot of one-on-one and uh, Farrell was a little more traditional where they were trying to get the ball inside, weave around the arc, dump it in. But on the girls' side, I think fundamentals are the leading approach there. Um, where I see, I've seen a lot of pick and roll, some pick and pop, some things that are more a little bit more of a, a throwback maybe. Yeah, and that's I, I think you see that in the women's game too at the professional level as well. I had gone the, the New York Liberty made a run to the to the WNBA finals this year unfortunately lost to the Aces but I was at the Barclays for the last game which one I want to say the women's game is really really growing the crowd there was more excited more into it than they are for most Nets games I've been to Nets playoff games I've been to the Liberty playoff games at this point and the Liberty crowd was crazy they were into it but also the game the style that they play it really is like you said, fundamentals, ball movement, open shots, you know, working it around, playing to your advantages, as opposed to some of what you see at the men's game where it's isolation, it's tough shot making, it, all of those different types of things. So uh, a lot of people have said and, and kind of maintain that the that the women's game at this point is a little bit more pure basketball in the style of what Charlie, you know, is used to and mm-hmm. what we saw earlier back in the day. Right. So I think that that's interesting. And in, uh, while we're on the topic of the of the women's game. I saw you wrote an article about how for the first time ever, we're having a Staten Island high school girls tournament, right? And so that's something that they had been trying to do for a while, but hadn't really been able to get off the ground. So can you tell me a little bit about what that's like and, and kind of how they got that going this year? Yeah. I mean, anybody who's uh, been to the boys games knows that it's a hell of an atmosphere. The One of the biggest events on our sports calendar. Um, I know they've been trying to get the girls off the ground in the same way uh, for a long time now. They couldn't seem to get everybody on board. And after a a lot of consternation, they finally got it underway. And all 13 Staten Island schools will be in it, uh, four from the Catholic League, Staten Island Academy, and uh, eight public school teams. So it should kind of rival what the boys have been doing. And uh, hopefully they have a big first year and keep it rolling. Yeah, no, I think that that's really exciting and just goes to show what we were just talking about and that the girls game and the women's game is kind of growing in that way and it's getting the the recognition that it deserves and they're getting the opportunity to play in these same types of environments that the men are. Who doesn't want to be able to say we're the best team in the borough? We're the best team that Staten Island has to offer. So I think that it's great that they were finally able to get that going. But then on another note, and Charlie, you wrote about this recently, we saw that the State Federation Basketball Tournament was canceled this year. And so can you tell our listeners just a little bit first about what that tournament is, the history of it, and then the decision to to kind of get rid of it this year? Yeah, um, very disappointing personally to hear this news. Uh, they did a story on it. I, I actually did a, um, an editorial on how they could have kept it going. I don't think they listened. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Basically, what it, the Federation Tournament is is that there's uh, four conferences, for lack of a better phrase, or divisions. It's the Catholic, the CHSAA, the PSAL, the Public School League or uh, Federation, whatever, from upstate, mm-hmm. 
and then the private school. Each division has a winner go from those four conferences, and they play to see who's the best of the best every year. The Federation Championships is, you know, it's a step above the Catholic Championship, the PSCL Championship, and and and, and it's been a great thing. Glens Falls for years it was going on up there, and basically I think their biggest gripe is the, um, money, and my suggestion was. You don't need a venue, a neutral site for everything. You have four teams in each division, double A, single A. You see those four teams, and whatever team you perceive as number one, they host the tournament. Yeah. Now, and my point was, last year, Farrell, for the very first time, was in the Federation A championships, and they won it all, first Staten Island team to do that. You're going to tell me if this tournament is played at Farrell, four teams in March, a Friday and a Sunday, that Farrell's gym is not going to be filled to the gills? Of course it's going to be. That's a lot of money coming in. Is yeah. people, people are going to come. I'm imagining it would be the same thing everywhere. You've seen Joseph by the sea like the girls. So to not even try to do it that way or something instead of just cutting it off at a drop of the dime. Very disappointing, especially it's been going on in years. I have friends that played in that tournament when I was in high school, mostly on the girls' side, and it says some of the best memories they ever had. So, yeah, that's about it in a nutshell, and it's just very disappointing that they would just let it go without even trying another alternative. Definitely. I can't imagine, you know, the the feeling of those players being deprived kind of the chance to win a state championship. That is such a huge yeah. thing. And so. Thankfully, they still have their opportunities here in the borough and here in the city, and they can get the recognition that they yeah. deserve. But it's still just, it seems like it just didn't really need to happen this way. It looks like, it feels like there were other ways for them to work around this, and definitely a bit of a disappointment there. But I think all things considered, we're all very excited about where this season is going for Staten Island basketball. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me again today, and uh, I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having us, Eric. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.